I don't know if I'm going to get through this preach. My, my heart and my brain are spaghetti after being part of the prayer meeting and the worship. I literally, I was standing there and I was like, I don't think I need to preach. I feel like God has just done everything already. Does anyone else feel like that? Like they can just have a meal already, they can go home. Um, not yet, not yet. Okay. Um, Luke is right, as soon as he said that that was going to be the focus for us for the next couple of weeks, I got super excited about God's Father. Um, you might think it's because I'm a, I'm a new dad. Where's, the, where's my child? Yeah. It, looks like, uh, it looks like Princess Leia at the moment. He's got little walls. Yeah, my son. Um, but it's, that's not actually the main reason. Um, God the Father and the topic of God the Father has been, for me, such a, a massive theological cornerstone that when I grasp it and the more I grasp it and the more I come back to it, it just changes me every single time. So I think that's why I'm excited and I'm excited for, for hopefully God to also do something in your heart and in my heart as well when I share on the topic. Um, so I, I am excited. A uh, little story about my dad. Um, uh, my parents were, were separated when I was uh, one years old and I kind of lived with my mom for, for most of the time while I was a little child. And then when I got older, um, when I grew up a bit, I used to be able to see my dad, I think it was every second weekend. Uh, he would come, we stayed in Joburg, he would drive across Johannesburg, he would come and pick me up, and I'd go and spend a weekend at his house, and we'd eat junk food, and popcorn, and all the fun stuff, and we'd watch movies, and I'd sleep late, and you know, all the stuff that I couldn't do with mom. But man, I just love my dad so much. And I, like every weekend, I just want to spend time with him. I look forward to it. As soon as he dropped me off on Sunday, I used to uh, watch his car driving off into the distance and I was just gutted and I was like, why can't I be with him all the time? I just want to be with my dad. I couldn't wait until the next weekend. Um, and uh, I wanted to be like him. You know? Even as like a, a little, little, little child, I wanted to wear baggy jeans and my dad always used to uh, wear like five knives on each side. So I don't know why he's a bit of a paranoid guy staying in Joburg, but I, I wanted to be like him and he got me all these like wooden knives and I used to stick them into my belt and I used to feel like my dad. Um, and uh, you know, God also reveals himself as a father and if you read through the Old Testament, it doesn't happen a lot uh, where God reveals himself as a father to individuals. It's mainly to the nation of Israel and to the people of Israel. He reveals himself as as father, and uh, you know if you if you read through the through the stories, you just you keep on seeing this picture of you know God forgiving His people and bringing them into relationship uh, relationship with Him, and then they kind of wander in their hearts and they go after other things and they you know they fall short and they sin and God displays His long suffering and He you know, sends prophets and they come back to Him and. It's the cycle. You just read the Old Testament. You're like, how are people just trapped in the cycle of uh, walking away from God? But you see this this character of God and this, this long-suffering nature of always wanting to move his people back. And um, I was thinking the other day that there's, there's, there's a large misconception when it comes to the gospel. Um, and it's this, it's that salvation and the forgiveness of sins is a byproduct of what Jesus came to do. It's actually a byproduct. I think a lot of us think that 
the main reason that Jesus came and the main reason that we become Christians is so that we can have our sins forgiven so that we can go to Him. And that's partially true, but it's actually one of the ingredients to the main event that Jesus wanted to do. The main thing that Jesus wanted to do, and it came through in worship and, and Luke's intro now, was to restore us to the Father. That actually was the whole point. Our relationship with God before we are Christians is broken. It's severed from God through our sinful nature. And God wants to make a plan to restore relationship. The way that He does that is by forgiving our sins. But His actual intent is relationship. Amen. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19 Do you have that scripture? It says, For God was in Christ. Uh, and, and when I read this, when I read God, I read the Father. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message He has given us to tell others. The first thing is, reconciling the world to, to Himself. How does He do it? By forgiving sins. And um, when, I, when I grew up, I was slightly older, like I was saying, I used to live with my mother primarily, and I used to see my dad on the weekends. Uh, and then at one point he moved to uh, the south coast of Pezidem, so a couple of hundred kilometers away, and they had to kind of fly to get there. And uh, growing up as a boy, I was living with, at this point, just my mother and my, and my sister, and I was you know, 12, 13, and I just, every time I saw my dad again, or I'd go on holiday and spend time with my dad, and I'd go back, I'd realize that there was this, like, dad-shaped void in my heart. They could only be filled when I was with dad. So I begged my mother, I said, please can I go and stay with my dad? I asked my dad, can I come and stay with you? And uh, that's what happened. So I left my mom, I left my sister, and uh, I moved to go and stay with my dad. So I'm 13, 13 years old, staying with my dad. And then I, I lapped up every single minute that I got with him. He was still busy working, he was super busy. Um, but man, he was, he, he was a good dad. And he used to encourage me uh, in... So many things. He used to encourage me to, to, you know, to think in a certain way. He used to tell me, uh, you know, clocks, you know, whenever we would run into a different, uh, difficult situation, and I say this to my wife now, he'd say that, my boy, clocks don't give up. You, you don't realize this, but that's the thing that differentiates us from the rest of the world. We don't give up. <laughs> and uh, I realized now he was tricking me, but he, he used to have all these lessons, and he formed me in so many ways. You know, he, he gave me an identity as a clock. Um, and I think when you look at what Jesus did and the things that Jesus said, that is also largely what he was doing. When he came, his chief purpose was to reveal the Father. So it's actually difficult to talk about the Father without talking about Jesus. So just a couple of scriptures. Um, John 8, 19 says, Then they asked him, Where is your Father? And they're speaking to Jesus. And he says, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So interesting thing, Jesus says, if you know me, if you see the things that I'm doing, you will understand what the father is like. It's the chief purpose of why he came, to reveal the nature and the character of the father. Uh, John 14 says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, listen to what he just said. Now, listen to Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. You're like, how does Jesus not get frustrated with this? 
Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus is saying, whatever you see in me reveals the nature and the character of the Father. It's not different. It's not like I'm good cop and he's bad cop and we're going to double team you spiritually to hopefully end up somewhere. Exactly what Jesus is, the nature of Jesus is the nature of the Father. There's a prayer in John 17 and it's, it's the prayer that, that Jesus is praying to, to God the Father. It's just before he's about to go to the garden and be crucified. He prays and he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Jesus reveals his purpose. His purpose was to reveal the Father. I'm going to say it again. The destination of the Christian is not heaven. It is restored relationship with the Father. If we have the Father, we have it all. So the question is, how did, um, how did Jesus do it? How did, how did he make the Father known? And uh, obviously when he was on earth, he did a lot of things. He, um, you know, he preached the gospel to the poor, and he spoke about the attitude and the way of the kingdom. He healed the sick. He cleansed lepers. He raised people from the dead. He declared people's sins forgiven. So all of these were actions that he was doing. And in doing these actions, he's showing the nature of God. And one of the other things that he did uh, was teach in parables. He used to tell these, these stories. And uh, I love these stories, and there's so many ways to interpret them. And in one short story, you really can communicate a lot. Um, so I'm just going to go through a couple of parables that Jesus taught to show what the nature and the character of the Father is as well. Uh, the first one is um, workers with equal pay. Who knows the parable? Yeah? So the idea is that there's a, a, a guy who has a farm and he needs laborers. And it's early in the morning, he sees the first guy, he hires him, he says, great, I'll pay you X for a day's work. Uh, a few hours later, someone else comes and he says, come to work, I will pay you X. Later on in the day, maybe like four o'clock in the day, you know, the ship ends at five, another guy says, come, come and work my farm, I'm going to pay you X. They get to the end of the day, and he pays them all the same thing, pays them the same price. And really the moral of the story that, that Jesus is trying to get across about the Father here is that the Father is gracious and does not reward according to your deeds. He rewards according to his abundant grace. Amazing. Uh, the second one is the parable of the unforgiving servant. There's a story about a, a, a king in a kingdom, and there's a, a servant that he has, and this servant owes the king a lot of money, like a lot of money. And the king calls him and says, actually, can you pay me back the money? The guy panics and says, actually, I don't, I don't have it. I can't afford to pay you back. I can't afford to pay this debt. And the king looks upon him and pardons his debt. says, don't worry, I forgive you your debt. And the uh, the, the, the servant then that was forgiven his debt, he has people that are under him. They come to him and they owe him money. So the same situation, but with the people that are reporting to him. And he says, pay me the money. And they say, we can't do it. We can't afford to pay it back. And he ends up beating them and imprisoning them. So he doesn't display... So it's a, the parable's got two kind of stories into it. And the first one is the nature of God to forgive. He doesn't recall our debt. 
if we ask for forgiveness. But then also, He expects us to be like Him. He expects us to display that same thing or characteristic to other people. Uh, the last one, second last one, is uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And you know, Jesus doesn't directly say that this is an act of the Father. But if you believe what I said earlier about Jesus representing the Father, everything that Jesus did was representing the character of the Father, you can assume that if the Father was in that position, he would have done the same thing. And we know the story. He's with the disciples. They're about to sit down to dinner. Jesus takes off his, his garments and he, he puts on a, a towel and he walks up to the disciples' dirty, dung-stained feet and he starts to wash them. And it's the, it's the task that the lowest person in the group normally would do. This, or or, or a, a house servant. It's something that they would do. And Peter is kind of like, how on earth, you know, he gets proud and how can you do this to me? And Jesus says, if you won't, won't let me do this for you, you can have no part of me. And uh, what we can see into that is the servanthood and humility of God. It's such a strange characteristic to ascribe to God, isn't it? Servanthood and humility. Um, it's a whole preaching in and of itself. And Andrew actually did a great preach on it, uh, I think, before 12 last year or, or one of the gatherings. I'd really encourage you to listen to it. But God is servant-hearted and He is humble. And the last one I want to look at is uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. We can put it up on the slide. We're going to read it together. This is where we're going to spend a little bit of our time. And it's, uh, again, Jesus taking time to belabor what the character of the Father is. And He tells a great story. It's a story that most of us know, I think. Let's read it. It says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Carry on. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have food enough to spare. Here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate the feast, for the son of mine was dead, and now is returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. We'll, we'll read the rest after this. And, um, there's a few key elements here that I felt like God wants us to dwell on and to settle into our hearts. 
um, in this parable. And the first one is that in the beginning, the son, you know, before he had left, valued what the father could give him more than the father's name. If you read a little bit into the story of, of what this would have meant for a son to ask his dad for his inheritance in the Jewish culture, normally, as it said there, they would wait, uh, and an inheritance would only be given out once the father passed away. The father would die, the inheritance would go to the sons, the, the eldest son would get the most, and so on and so on. So for this young son to come to his dad while he is still alive and say, give me my inheritance. He knows exactly the shame that it's going to cause, not only his own name, but to his father's name and to his family's name. The second thing is that the father grants his request. The father knows that this is going to cause shame on his own self and on his son. Yet he gives it to him. And God, for me, in this shows that he gives us free will. It's up to us. He doesn't force us to love him. He doesn't force us to recognize his goodness. And the sun goes off and has some wild living and during that you realize his poverty. I don't know how, how your salvation story went, but for me that's exactly how it went. Wild living, suddenly I realized I was poor. Not, not necessarily just financially, but just spiritually bankrupt. Lost my identity. Um, the sun then, the key element here for how we enter the kingdom is that the sun realizes this. The interesting thing is he first becomes aware of his poverty. He first becomes aware of his brokenness. He doesn't become aware of what he did against the father. He just realizes that in his father's house, there is wealth, there is treasures, and he can go back there, maybe as a servant. And he realizes that in order to do that, he needs to repent. And he says, Father, forgive me. I, 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 I. He says this in his heart. As he says, before I go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go he hasn't arrived there yet. He's still in this land. He says, I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to say to my dad, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. So there's a realization in his heart that not only did he bring shame to his father, but he also brought shame to God. He brought shame to uh, the commandment which says, honor your mother and your father. And so he sets off and goes back to his dad. And you, you, when you read this parable, you get this picture of the father waiting in this like farmhouse. I always picture Gladiator. <laughs> Who hasn't seen Gladiator? You know, he's walking with his, uh, his fingers through the, through the wheat. All, all the men love that scene. But it's this, uh, this farmhouse. And you picture the father sitting in this, uh, in this house in this long dusty road and you see this ragged son that brought shame to the whole family come walking. And the father, you know, breaks out of his seat and runs down the road. And in some translations it says that he's moved with compassion and falls on his neck. You know, this is this, this, this dignified father that seeing this broken son runs up to him, falls on his neck, doesn't even, he, he just smells repentance on his son. His son doesn't even get a chance really even to say, I'm sorry. He doesn't get a chance to say the things that he had purposed in his heart to say. And the father brings him in and has compassion on him. And, um, when I was living with my dad then, uh, around 15, it was great. And then as I got older, I, you know, my dad and I slightly grew apart. We still lived together. He became super busy with work. And I was a typical teenager. And I had my own ideas. Uh, and 18, 19, I was finished with school. And um, was kind of in the peak of my, my wild living days. And 
my dad used to let me use his car every now and again. I didn't have a car. And um, the, the one night, I always had to ask him, and he had this beautiful Mercedes Benz that he had worked super hard to buy. So he would let me drive that from time to time, but I always had to like prep it like two or three days in advance. Like, this is, you know, can I, can I use your car? And uh, the one night, a couple of friends of mine were over at my house and we'd been potting, and it was probably about 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. And my one friend needed to get home. And he's like, cheers guys, I'm going to walk. And I knew that this guy was going to get mugged or something on the way home. So I was like, dude, let me just give you a lift. Uh, I'll give you my dad's keys. I know where they are. I'll give you a ride. So I went and got the keys to America, jumped in the car, and cruised. And uh, on the way there, was having a bit of a joyride. And um, I ended up ramping the car off of a curve. And the car fell probably about the distance of the ceiling down to the floor into a ditch. And I had three of my friends with me in the car. And uh, when, I, when I came about, I thought that I just kind of slid into the, into the bushes with the car. So I thought to myself, let me just put it into reverse and try and pull out. And when I felt for the gear knob, it was up here. <laughs> so I was like, man, I'm probably going to have to push it so I can't reverse. <laughs> and then when I tried to get up, there were branches sticking through the window. And I turned around and everyone was unconscious. Um, so I kind of crawled out to realize I was in this ditch. Crawled back up to the main road and uh, started calling you know, the, the ambulance and, and the police and stuff. And um, I, I, I knew at some point that I, that, I, that I needed to call my dad. And I mean, I was terrified because our, our relationship wasn't good. Um, I'd stolen his car. I'd written it off completely. It was shaped like a V. It was like a, like a boomerang. It was completely done. And... Uh, my dad answered the phone, it was a very he answered at 3 a.m. And I said, Dad, I've been in an accident, uh, can, you come, can you come help? And he drove over, and it was the longest wait of my entire life. It probably took all of 10 minutes for him to get there, but to me it felt like days of sweating and what is he going to absolutely crush me in front of my friends that are now like um, gained consciousness. And he... Uh, <laughs> He arrived at the scene and he, you know, he, he quickly spoke to the police. He quickly, he, he first came to me and said, "Are you okay?" Looked me in the eyes, and then he went to the police, spoke to them, went to the ambulance. Some of my friends went off in the ambulance. He said to me, "Get in the car." I got in the car, and uh, we, you know, everyone was off, and then we drove home. And he said to me, "My boy, I'm so glad you were in that car. I'm so glad you were in that car. That car's got airbags, and it's got bags on the side." If you were in any other car, I wouldn't have forgiven myself. I'm so glad you took that car. And I was so shaken and I was so ridden with guilt because my one, my one friend was injured. I had betrayed my dad. I'd stolen his car. And all he could care about was me and my well-being. And he took me home. And I'm, 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 I'm an adult by this point. I'm like, I think I was about 18 or 19. He put me in bed. He got in the bed with me. Screwed me. And just help me. And we slept like an entire night. And it did something so profound for my heart to know that in my worst of times, when I betrayed my dad the most, he was able to be there for me. Amen. And um, I think the amazing thing is that everything around us in nature, everything that's been created, has been created in a way to represent the nature of God and the character of God. Uh, it says that in Romans chapter 1, that, that people are essentially without excuse. You know, if, if everyone had to be honest, even while they're an unbeliever, 
they're actually without excuse because nature itself reveals God. It's the same with marriage. It's a picture of God. And us having fathers and my father was actually just a picture of the real father, of what he's like. And, um, but my father isn't perfect. Far, far, far from it. And I, you know, on the other side of the coin, I also had another father figure in my life that did terrible things to our family. Absolutely terrible things. Um, but I had this other father, and I've heard pictures of other fathers. And for a lot of us here, you know, you might not have a father. You might not have a major father. Or you might have a dad that's fantastic one day and torrid the next day. You get these kind of shifting images of what a father can be. Um, read James 1.17. Can I give you that verse? It says, whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God above. He created all heaven's lights. Unlike them, he never changes or casts shifting shadows. And the thing that I realized when I, when I grew up in God and started reading about the Father, I realized that sometimes I would paint the picture of my dad onto God the Father. And the best that he could be was kind of the best experience that I had of the Father. And in talking to other people, I realized that even this story of mine kind of falls flat because that was just me. You might not have had a good dad at all. In fact, you might have had a terrible dad. But the Bible and the Word is fantastic and that Jesus shows us what the Father actually looks like. And the Word promises that He is not like shifting shadows. You know, shifting shadows when if there was a light over here shining in this pulpit, we move around, the shadow would be changing all the time. It says that God is constant. He is consistent. His nature is constant. And um, this is really something that our, our hearts need to grip about God. God is always good. The Father is always waiting with compassion and open arms to receive us. And uh, it's actually something that, it's one of the most basic truths about God the Father, is that He's compassionate. And it is and in His relationship with us as a son. And it's something that we have to get, because if we don't get it, we will struggle to get some of the other aspects of God. Because I can't necessarily talk to you about the nature and the character of God and exclude God's discipline as a father towards us. And that word can be so loaded depending on your context and what your understanding of discipline is. You know, it can be just straight up punishment for something that you did. My dad had every right to discipline me when I wrote his poem. And that can look a certain way. But if we know and believe that God essentially is a good father who always has the best for us, we'll see his discipline as a good and a beautiful thing. And this was so when I first became a Christian and I used to read about David, and David would say, you know, he'd write about the law and how uh, his rod and his staff would comfort me. I was like, who is this madman that would write something like that? Then you get to learn about God, you learn about the nature of God as a father as you walk with him, and you see the guardrails that he puts into a life around you, the things that he says no to. And when you as a child initially look at them and you go, like, why? You know? And then in hindsight, you look back and say, wow. You really are good. You're a good father for having done that. Um, so understanding, uh, there's an interesting verse uh, in Ephesians. I'll just read it out. And it's, it's Paul writing to this church in Ephesus. 
And uh, one of the main prayers that he writes, he tells his church, I'm, I'm praying for you. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. And it's almost like Paul is saying, the way that you as a church are going to grow, the way that you as individuals are going to grow, is by knowing your Father better. And it's cool. Like, I love what God is speaking to us even through, through worship. We want to know you more. We want to know you more. That was the Holy Spirit that was crying out in us, in you guys, to the Father. We want to know you more. And it's amazing that there is that potential for us to know the Father more. Um, I want to speak about what happens, and, and it's, it's, it's like getting practical now, is what happens if we don't understand this nature of the Father? And not only don't understand it, but don't receive it. What happens if we don't get to know the Father? What happens if our hearts don't believe that He's compassionate, that He'll run down the road, that He's quick to forgive? What happens? And these are some of the, I'm going to call them symptoms. Symptoms of, of not seeing the fatherly character of God. Number one, I don't always know where I stand with God. Is He angry or is He not? Can I ask for forgiveness? So as, as I read through those, or through this list, just check your heart. See if any of these apply to you. The second one, I frequently need to hear others, especially leaders, say that I'm doing well. I receive my identity mainly through prophetic words and other people's encouragement. Uh, when I wobble, my first response is to go to people. And uh, I just want to dig a little bit deeper into um, what happened when the father received the son. And remember, if you pass to my back, the story, he had compassion on him, he welcomed him back in. And the very first thing that he did was, he kissed him. Yep, gave him a big kiss. That's amazing. I've got a little boy now and I can't, can't stop kissing him. It's so weird. Um, and he hates it. He enjoys Lawrence's kisses, but I've got this beard, so he just gets so upset. But I can't stop kissing him. That's the strangest thing. But one of the things that he does after he kisses him, it says that he gives him the finest robe. And uh, if you think about the sun, he would have come in, he would have been filled with dirt from working with the pigs. He would have been, his shame would have been so apparent to everyone. And the father gives him not just a robe, not a servant's robe, he gives him the finest robe. And that robe represents, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover that, that shame. Not only am I going to cover it, but I'm going to reinstitute you as a son in the house. I'm giving you the finest robe. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm not going to even give you what you asked for. You asked to be a servant. I'm going to give you the son's robe. The second thing that the father does is give him a ring. And rings are, are, are really cool. And uh, you can probably infer that the ring that he gave him would have been the family ring. And again, he's saying to his boy, this is a symbol, because you wear it, it's a public display. I wear a ring, you can see I'm married. But the boy would have worn a ring, and everyone would have been able to identify he's back in the inheritance. He's back in the family business. And the servants would have seen. And the other thing that a ring represents is covenant. It's a circle that shows this eternal loop of covenant. So the father reinstitutes this covenant with the son. And the third thing that the father does is he throws a party. How cool is that? Eh? It's not like he's, he, he's grumpy and it's like, okay, about time, he's back. Yeah, let's put it to work. 
He kills the fattened calf, invites all the servants in. The son, the, the older brother, will read about him now. He comes back and he hears this huge party from far away. And that's the heart of the father. When we come back to him, when we repent, he celebrates over us. Um, so what did the son receive from the father which he couldn't get from anyone else? And this, and this again speaks to that the list that I just read. The son received forgiveness. Only God can forgive us. And only God can declare us forgiven. He can because He is the judge and also the forgiver. And this is something that our hearts need to hear from God. And we can't look to other people all the time for our forgiveness or for our standing. It's something which our hearts need to receive from the Father once and for all to forgive. The robe. Um, and it also speaks about status. If we haven't received that robe from the Father, we're going to look for it in other places. We're going to look for it in other people. We're going to want other people to tell us where we stand. We're going to wonder, why am I not a deacon? Why am I not getting to preach? Why am I not on the stage? Why? You, you, you get where I'm going. If our affirmation and our status doesn't come from what we experience from the Father, we're going to be driven by other things all the time. Our identity... Um, you know, it's, just, it's the same with Jesus. As he was baptized, before he had done a single thing, the heavens opened, the Father spoke, this is my son who I love and in whom I'm well pleased. And it happened again at the transfiguration when Jesus was, you know, he appeared before the Father and who was there? Elijah and Moses. And the Father again speaks to him. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, whom I love, listen to him. And this is something that our hearts need to receive from the Father as well. We need to receive that identity. And it's great. We're in a community which is super encouraging, super prophetic. And it's something that we're called to do. We're called to encourage one another. But the first voice that we're meant to hear when it comes to our identity and our status is the Father's. It's also the first place that we're meant to go back to when we have a wobble. If I'm struggling with my identity, Dave and Kina are not my people. I go to the Father. Father, can you, can you remind me? Let's read the gospel again. What, what does your word say? If I'm still struggling, then I can phone Dave. Maybe I'll phone you. If I'm struggling with why am I not getting opportunity? Why am I why am I not seeing the things in my life that I want to see with the Father? Why am I not growing a promotion in the church like I want to? I don't go to Luke and say, Hey Luke, like, you know, when when are you gonna promote me? <laughs> We go to the Father and say, Father, can you, can you show me the robe that you have given me? How do I wear it? Um, there's a, there's a, a quote that I love. It says, Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. And it's the cool thing about the, the son. You know, what he, he didn't deserve anything when he came back to his father. And all that he asked for was, just give me food. Let me work for you. And the Father gives him so much more. And that is the heart of the Father towards all of us. God wants to give us identity. He wants to give us identity and status. He wants to speak affirmation of us. He's, he's waiting at all times, crouching, just for us to go to Him, to hear it from Him. And it's something that we need to do. It's something that we proactively need to posture our heart before God, say, God, why don't you tell me who I am? I loved... Um, there were so many prophetic words that were, that were tying into this, but uh, 
I think it was Christine that was saying, we need to keep on hearing it from the Father. It's so true. All of us need to keep on hearing it. I'm not going to go into, into the older brother, but we won't read it, but I'll tell you very quickly. The older brother hears this party going on, and he goes there, and he gets lit. He's like, I've been working all day. You just spoiled this dude over here. What's, what's, you know? And he says to his dad, I've been uh, serving you all this time. And never once did you give me anything. And for me, as, as someone who's, who's, you know, quite settled as a Christian, that is my, often my default to slip into. And I think for a lot of us that have been serving God for a long time, we think, okay, we've heard it now from the Father. We've got the identity that's going to work. It's going to work. And we don't return often enough back to the Father to hear His affirmation. And then the fruit of that is that we become the old brother. And uh, these are the symptoms, all the brother symptoms. Um, this is, could, could be the mindset if you've fallen into that, uh, that, that, that heart. Christianity, while I'm alive, is mainly hard work, but it's okay because one day I will get a reward. And I'm not going to expect joy until that day. I don't find joy in people getting saved. When others are promoted, I feel overlooked. And even when I read that, I'm like, oh, I felt like that recently in, in, in some areas, you know. But it's amazing how the father, even for the, for the son, he reminds him, he says, hey, buddy, I have been with you all this time. He reminds him that the reward is not in the fattened pig that he didn't get, but actually that he's had access to the father at all times. Anytime you could have come to me, we could have hung out, we could, we could have had a relationship. Not only that, but everything that I have is yours. He's basically saying to the brother, everything that I'm enjoying is also your right to enjoy. And in a sense, I think that's what God wants from us, that are all the brothers in the house as well. We're meant to see what the Father is doing. The Father is celebrating the return of sons. And we're meant to go epic. Because the Father is inviting us to be like them. And uh, who's Jeannie? Would you mind just um, prepare the video song? Do you mind sharing what, again what you shared during worship? Um, yeah, so I was, we were watching the runners running um, and we were cheering them on and it was actually really fun saying, keep going, you got this, breathe, like, push through, you can do this, you know. And I really felt the Lord Stay with me in that moment. Um, this is what I do with you. Um, I'm your encourager. I'm the one who's with you as you run. Um, and I'm the one who's saying, keep going. You've got this. You can do this. Um, one foot in front of the other. I'm with you. Yeah. I was humming and eyeing about whether I should include this video or not. Let's, let's, before you play, the backdrop here is that uh, it was the 2012 Olympics, and there was a runner from Great Britain called Derek Redmond. Um, some of you might have seen this video, but he had won most of his races leading up to this. I think this was the semi-final, and he was uh, teared up to be uh, the, the winner. So he was, he was the favorite to win the final race as well. And this is the semi-final.
think it's the last 200 meters of frozen hamstring. And if you pull that hamstring, you're done. And it's the Olympics, so the race carries on. No one's going to stop and turn back. my son having a problem and it was my duty to help. I actually went on the track to try and stop him from inflicting further damage to himself. And it was his son's idea. He said, give me back in that lane. And I offered him a shoulder to the arm. And the father walks alongside. Incredible, eh? And for me, this is just another one of those incomplete, imperfect pictures that display the heart of the father towards us. And I think it's amazing. Gene didn't know that I was going to play this video. But it so clearly ties up and affirms to me what God wants us all to receive from Him today. <sighs> the Father is for us, wants to walk alongside us, wants to encourage us, wants to speak to us, even when we're not getting it right. So, um, uh, in, in closing, I thought it might be cool. Maybe we can really oh, close our eyes. So nice. And, uh, a lot of what I spoke about today was Jesus revealing the Father to us and the nature of the Father to us. And the way that the prodigal son returned to the Father or came back to the Father, he said in his heart, I have sinned against my Father and against Him. There was a realization of he had sinned. And I feel today that there might be some of you here that don't have that initial relationship with the Father. You've never been born again. You've never received God for the first time. You've never actually repented and said, Father, I want to come into your family. Father, I want to come into your family. And, and the way that we do that is very, very clear in that story. We, A, recognize that we've fallen short. We recognize that we've sinned against heaven and against Father. And we repent. And in repenting is when He falls on us, gives us compassion, gives us our identity. But we can't do that unless... So is there anyone that would like to do that for the first time? You've, you've, you've never given your heart to God. You've never said that. I want to be part of the family of heaven. Is anyone like it? If there is, you, you can slip up your hand.
turning point of that message, the crux of that message is this. Can you receive? Can you accept God's unconditional forgiveness? Amen. I'll ask you to close your eyes. Now ask that question again. I want you really to think about it. Can you accept that God would forgive you when you don't deserve it? Son ran away or took his inheritance and he, he went away. Spent everything. Just like Clint shared, he wrote off his dad's car. What he actually should have, the, the 10 minutes, it felt like days. Because why? He was anticipating the wrath of his father. He, and deservedly so, he should have got a beating from his dad. And yet his dad just spooned him. Loved him. Forgave him. I want to ask you today, are you are you willing to receive God's forgiveness? Even if you're a Christian, are you willing to admit and say, Lord, yes, there's times when I actually anticipate you should be disciplining me, you should be correcting me, rebuking me, but you're a God that just forgives. for here for today that for some of us that's just too hard it's just too hard to receive God's forgiveness you know like the servant that went to him the, the, the boss the manager the owner said you know you owe me he said I can't pay you forgive me he said okay I'll forgive you and yet he couldn't go and forgive it was unconditional I forgive you maybe you back in with that today and if that is you, if you are struggling to say, Lord, I should, I should, be a, I should pay a penance, I should, I should do something to earn your forgiveness for something I've done wrong or a way that I've lived or... I don't know. I don't know your circumstances. But I'm going to ask you, be brave. Would you stand? Would you stand this afternoon? Say, Lord... Help me to receive your unconditional forgiveness. Is that you? Ask you to be brave. Is anyone here this afternoon? I pray with you. Not to embarrass you. Anyone else? We're so trained, Father God, that everything is a price. That we expect it to pay. We don't just get given. We, we earn a salary by working five days a week or six days a week for a month. And then we get a salary. Um, every, everything is a, is a buy and sell. Everything has a value. And yet, Lord, you... You so easily and so willingly are willing to forgive us if we just say, I'm sorry. And that can be the hardest sometimes, is to just accept forgiveness. That can be so difficult to do, 
because what I deserve is I, I deserve to be beaten or I deserve to be rebuked so that I can feel like I've earned it. For the brave few that have stood up this afternoon, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would surrender. And say, Lord, what I deserve from you is a rebuke, not a ring and a beautiful robe and a, and a party. What I actually deserve is a, is a good, right old smack. And yet, God, you love us so much. The core of this message is that you love me so much, Lord. When I deserve that, you give me the best. You say it's okay. Help us, Lord, in our prideful way to accept your forgiveness, Lord. Help us, Lord, to come before you in a surrendered way. And when I deserve the worst, Lord, you give me the best. When we deserve the worst, Lord, you give us the best. You're a Father that loves us so much, Lord. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to just lay down and say, okay, I receive from you what I don't deserve. Forgiveness. And that forgiveness is permeated with love. It's a love we don't understand. Help us to receive this, Lord. The love that comes from you and you alone. A love that says it's okay. As I am. It's okay. Lord, I pray for a posture that even the prodigal son that I sinned against you and I sinned against him. Yes, it's okay. I love you. pray for one another. Um, so for those that's, that stood, that's great. We're going to have you out in the front and we can, we can pray for you. But I, I felt like um, God really wants to really fashion the way we think of Him. Just that video of a father coming alongside a broken son or a daughter. And uh, that story of when Clint wrote off his dad's father, the response of the father. And that feels like, I think, many of us don't actually see God that way. We struggle to see God as being a gracious, gracious God who, who's far more kind than we could ever imagine. And I feel like this afternoon, the Lord actually wants to refashion us and shape us. So I would love it if you feel like, actually, that's me. And that's probably a lot of us here because we live in a very broken generation. Very broken. Um, I would love if, if you could come to the front and I would love for us to have um, some other leaders just gather around to it. Oh, that's you. If you're standing already, if you're standing already, you can come to the front. But uh, I feel like through prayer and the word that's already come, the Lord actually wants to soak us with His presence, soak us with His Holy Spirit and refashion the way we think of our Father. Amen? How did you come out? So just to follow on a little bit on what Luke's saying. 
failure to see the Lord in the, in the light of who He is. The other extreme of that is the older brother. Who um, hardened his heart. He deserved better. And I, I think that would apply to some of us too. I've been doing this for so long. Surely, should, should things be better? Shouldn't I be treated better? Clint even spoke about it in his message. And if that's you, I would invite you to the throne. As well. Maybe you've hardened your heart. You're not seeing God the way, and you, you're looking at circumstances, and you're going, Lord, yeah, but what about me? Don't I deserve a little bit more? A little bit better? Not to embarrass anyone, but um, let's respond to this rule. If we could just get some of our leaders around, just gather around those who come to the front. Just gather around and pray. If you, if you haven't responded, let's pray anyway. Let's pray for those. Pray for ourselves. Let's spend some time in the Lord's presence.